Welcome to the Ask Alika podcast, where we answer all your questions about business, marketing, and technology. Welcome to Ask Alika episode 20. I'm really excited about today because it is the first podcast in our new skills series where I sit down and chat with people who are experts in a specific field, skill, or craft. And I ask them a bunch of questions that will help you guys, all of us, get better in what we do. So, Today, I have Kylie DeClerc. She is a workplace engagement expert. She has run really big teams, diverse teams in South Africa in the pharmaceutical industry. And I think you're going to get quite a bit out of today. She's she's an academic, but she's also a very practical corporate woman. So she's got the best of both worlds. And um, yeah, hope you enjoy today. So, Kylie, you're the first to be part of my skills series podcasts Um, and, you know, I'd like you to introduce yourselves in terms of like, what do you do now? Like, what is your specialty, Kylie? Great. Well, thank you for having me here. I'm excited to be part of the beginning of your skills journey. So, what do I do? Um, At the moment, I'm working with employee engagement, which is a big term that I don't believe has been really unwrapped Mm. in the market. So, essentially, it's working with people in small businesses, large businesses, and looking at what motivates them and drives them to be really engaged with the vision of the organization and the teams that they work in. Can you explain to all of us, how did you get into this field? Sure. um, You have a very interesting background. Please share. (laughs) I do. I don't don't think we have enough time for my my background. I was born and raised in South Africa, Mm. and I studied a science degree in genetics and microbiology. I was very interested in science when I was a lot younger and not quite sure what I was going to do there in a white lab coat. Um, I quickly moved on to the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah. And I got quite involved in pharmaceutical sales, medical sales. I got involved in that industry. I'm just too much of a people person, I think, for the the laboratory environment. And I relatively quickly moved up into management. I don't really like the term management. It's got such an authority term to it, which is not as... I prefer it to leadership positions in pharmaceuticals. And that's where I started working with teams to develop their sales skills, to develop career paths, performance management, mm. you know, in a sales environment, which is very competitive and pretty difficult. What made it a big challenge was I did it in South Africa, which is probably one of the most culturally diverse and strained environments in the world to work in. Mm. So I had individuals in my team wow. who were 55, 60 plus years old and I had young individuals in my team who had been raised in poverty. Yeah, wow. So to try and mesh those two different cultures together, not to mention that we have, I think, 11 official languages in South Africa. (laughs) So you talk about cultural diversity and now I need these teams (laughs) to all work together to achieve one goal. Yeah. So that's when cultural dynamics, team dynamics, performance all kind of mesh together and you start watching what works and what doesn't work. And when you sandwich that with the demands of your senior management team and the demands of medical, which probably sits in a hub in the Northern Hemisphere somewhere, and then your marketing hub sits in another part because multinational organizations are pretty split with controls of what arm of the organization. Now you bring all of these different inputs together and how do you still drive results? And that's when you realize that it is so important what goes on within your team. And you can blot out all the noise. Like what's going on in Perth right now, is our economy good? Is it bad? Are we heading for another sort of burst and another huge run in the mining industry? Are we not? 
how do you shut out all that noise and just keep your team mm. moving in the direction they need to go? How do you keep them focused on a vision? And that's when I really started reading a lot and investigating a lot into team dynamics and mm. to engagement. How do you keep them invested? It's not short-term goals. Short-term goals are money. You can incentivize with um, increases and perks and a day off. But how do you keep them invested in long-term strategic goals? You need to develop relationships within your team and a relationship with the organization because then you're driven by something far greater and far more long-term mm. than just finances. Right, okay. And, okay, so workplace engagement, that's another way to, do, to wrap it all up. So Absolutely. Workplace culture, workplace engagement, motiva workplace motivation. Sure. Okay, so what is what do you see? Like, Do most firms do this well? Do most firms do workplace engagement well? I think most firms have a, a system that looks at the level of engagement of their employees and the culture and the behaviors of their employees. Yep. I think most places traditionally have done team buildings mm. year after year and traditionally do surveys to assess the levels of, um, for lack of a better word, mm. engagement. We keep using the word engagement, but they assess the temperature of the employees you know how happy are they do they feel motivated do they feel like their skills are being utilized are they happy with their their managers are they happy with their colleagues their salaries so various surveys yeah. go around but do they actually do something to address the actual engagement of employees from a perspective of are they aligned with the vision of the organization are they coming to work and going home having been fully productive you know are they essentially sleepwalking yeah. from Monday to Friday or are they yeah. active participants in not only the team that they're in but mm. the greater organization and that extends out to the customers. Yeah. And and what I loved about because, you know, you did a seminar which I sat in and I was, I was really impressed, you know, and we hear about workplace engagement a lot and, and, you know, there's articles written and sometimes you look over and go, oh, okay, yeah, whatever. But when I listened to you talk, I was mm. really impressed and I love how you use stats to back everything up because you come from an academic background. Now, what is the cost to, like? How do, like you talked a bit about the cost of not having a good workplace culture or not having engaged employees. Can you explain a bit about that? Sure. Well, I always break down cost into a couple of tiers and the cost that the business owner will generally be most interested in is the cost to his profitability or the productivity of his staff. And that is obviously one of the biggest things that drives business owners or yeah. leaders to improve the engagement of their team. And Gallup uh, recently did a huge amount of work to look at the actual numeric cost of disengagement. And they worked out that it was about 34% of a actively disengaged individual's salary. Mm. So 34% of one person's salary perhaps could be overlooked, but 34% of 50 or 60 individual salaries in an organization really starts adding up. Mm. So what does it cost an organization? So productivity and profitability is one part of it. Yep. What does it cost an organization from a cultural and a, a an attrition perspective, not having an engaged organization? Mm. I'm sure companies have noticed when people leave and there's a high attrition rate, most people say they're leaving either because of their managers or because they say they don't feel comfortable they don't feel happy. They don't feel motivated. Not many people leave for significantly higher salaries mm. or for a promotion into a job role that was far better than the one they had. Most moves are lateral moves, but the promise of a better culture and the promise of a better working environment is often a pull mm. for an individual to leave. And the third cost of having a disengaged working environment is the cost to the customers. 
I think in a working environment, we often take it for granted that the customers that we face don't pick up, that our employees are not happy, that our employees are disgruntled. So the cost for me, again, is threefold. It's internal when it comes to finances, profit margins, and Mm -hmm. productivity. The second cost is for the people and the turnover. It's also really difficult to keep bringing on board new members to a team, integrating them into a team, getting them up and running, getting them to speed, having a fine oiled and fine working team of individuals, and then another person leaves or two leave or three leave, and then you need to restart the entire process. And then the third is the cost to the customers. Yeah. Wow. And time is money. So for me, I'm thinking every minute that someone's not engaged, we're throwing money down the drain. Absolutely. So like you said, 34%. If you're looking at just the financial side of things, that's a lot of money. If someone's on a hundred grand salary, for example, that's 34 grand a year, just down the drain pretty much. Yeah, and I suppose the business owner will only know where that money could be better spent. Yeah, was you might as well not employ that person. Um, okay, so why don't businesses address poor culture and engagement and poor engagement? Um, I think they do in a way that they believe it would work by, as I said, trying team building exercises or, you know, in ways that they believe could work. But it comes back to the point is how do you address something that is wrong from a cultural and a behavioral perspective? And that is really where, as you said, why don't business owners address it? Because it's a sticky area. We're not dealing with simple metrics like changing machines or changing a system. When it comes to people, it gets more complicated because often what is going to come out of the woodwork are things that are going to make people uncomfortable and be that from the CEO all the way through to middle management, to employees, you know, to the the outside field staff or the reception there are things that are going to come out that people need to address, how people are behaving, how people are making others feel, who's listening, who's not listening, communication issues. Mm. And these are things that need to be addressed. And not everybody is ready nor comfortable to firstly accept responsibility and be accountable Mm. for these behaviors that are presented in these kind of um, facilitated environments, which is what we look at in employee engagements. A a team building exercise for an afternoon where everybody leaves the office and goes and has an amazing time on a golf course or playing paintball or many of the other things that I've done throughout my career. <laughs> People that I didn't like before I left the office, I still don't like when I get back <laughs> to the office. Or, yeah. you know, people who treated me appallingly or wouldn't listen to my voice in a meeting still don't listen to my voice after that team yeah. building and all the cultural issues that we had. Doesn't really, Friday, doesn't really fix anything. I still there on a Monday. There needs yeah. to be a far more in-depth and a deep dive approach to what is building these silos in an mm. organization. What is the barrier to communication and what is stopping these people from really yeah. becoming part of a greater community and working together for the company? So we talked a bit about this before we started recording, which was um, people often don't, you know, myself included sometimes, people often don't want to face the truth. So, is that a big reason? Like, we, it's hard to really, as a business owner, for example, it's hard for me to accept, maybe it's my fault. Maybe I'm not listening to people. Maybe I'm being too dominant. Maybe I'm, I don't know, X, Y, Z. Like, is it a human nature thing? Like, it's hard to accept blame. Sure. I think there's two parts to this. Um, number one is the business owner should ask himself, what is it going to cost him or her if they don't fix it? Hmm. So besides a 34% cost of a salary for a disengaged employee, what else is it going to cost them from absenteeism, productivity, profitability, perhaps gossip and silos and tears in the office and all those other things? But what does it cost them in time and what does it cost them with their team if they don't fix it? 
So that is the one side. And the other side is absolutely what have they done to contribute towards the disengagement in the office? Because absolutely the leadership team is critical. Yeah. Or the business owner is critical in creating that culture. But it's also not to take it so personally and to dramatize it as a, a failure beyond repair. Sure, we all do things that were possibly not brilliant or that were not 100% beneficial to the team. But it's all about learning. You know, part of it is standing in front of your team and saying, right, perhaps I didn't do this in the best way to benefit us as a team, mm. but I'm willing to jump on board with the team now and move us forward in the right direction. Mm. And that goes a long way towards rectifying whatever misconceptions and hard feelings were there before. What are the signs of disengagement? Okay, well, I think before we look at the signs of disengagement, let's look at what an actively engaged person is like. So they are your team star. You give them a task and they overperform it, but they overperform it with a happy face and they involve people around them. They'll cross multiply, well, not cross multiply, they'll cross pollinate with different departments in order to really maximize a job and do it well. Mm. So there are two different types of disengaged um, employees or people. And those that are just disengaged and actively disengaged. Now, mm. you're disengaged engaged people if you had to look at a, a mental picture of rowing a boat so your actively engaged um, employees are actively rowing the boat furiously mm. all the time with a smile on their face your disengaged employees are just standing and looking around so mm. they're not particularly destructive but they're not particularly productive either mm. you know they'll come to work on a monday go home at the end of the day lots of coffee breaks but they they get the minimum requirement done the ones that are the the most destructive to an organization are your actively disengaged employees. Right. Now, they are your sleepwalkers who do very little, absolutely do not contribute towards the organization, but are destructive to those around them. Mm. So those are your three types of actively engaged, disengaged, and actively disengaged yeah. employees. So what are the signs of the actively disengaged employees? So besides the fact that they pretty much just sit at their desk or in the coffee room and have a break or go out and have numerous smoke breaks, they're often absent from work. Yeah. You know, they're not really present. So even when they are present, they're not present. But when they are here, they, they do damage in the way that they spread stories perhaps about colleagues or they disgruntled about the boss and everything the boss does is wrong and incorrect and they, they try and rally troops around them. Yeah. Um, they become like a cancer. Absolutely. Yeah, they do. And yeah. men and women tend to be disengaged in different ways. You know, they can be challenged for authority in the mm. organization. They form cliques and silos. So depending on the way the leadership team wants things done, if they disagree, they will try and form a, a group that wants something done a different way. You know, some are vocally challenging. Some are quiet. <laughs> some will just do the minimum amount of work. Others make lots of mistakes. Yeah. And it depends on the industry you're in. If you have people who are working in construction and high up on scaffolds, if they're making big mistakes, that can be detrimental to health and safety. You know, people working in an IT industry, making numerous mistakes in a technical era can have many, many um, effects on other people that are working on multiple projects that all need to come together. So mistakes are a huge yeah. one, but a big one is absenteeism. Mm. that's a large one but yep. lack of productivity delayed output on projects showing no interest yep. making very little effort <laughs> how, how did, you said something at the seminar that I found I, I had a giggle and then there was a lady that looked at me and oh watch out um, and look you know I'm very sensitive to this politically correct environment don't want to offend anyone don't want to generalize because everyone's different but you mentioned that men and women sometimes disengage in different ways H how do men do it and, then, and how do women do it 
Yeah, well, I don't want to put a blanket over because obviously men and women can behave exactly the same way and can behave differently. Mm. In my experience, when I've worked with women that are disengaged, either as their team leader or in organizations, women tend to um, gossip and backbite and start stories. Mm. Uh, they tend to be subtly defiant. So I've, I've worked with women where they've been very disengaged from an organization and I've asked them to complete tasks that were part of the benefit for the greater team. And they've done it, but suboptimally done it, knowing that there would be a backlash on me. Mm. So women kind of sometimes go in on the side and, and just twist the knife subtly. Um, men were somewhat more open and honest about it, that I just don't like the way you're doing it and I refuse. And why should I? Yeah. So very openly challenged. Quite aggressive, openly aggressive. My authority in a leadership position. But it's not always the, the fact that men yeah, and of women course. are different. Just in my experience, I mm. found that men, which is sometimes a blessing, are far more open and just say, well, I'm, this, I think this is stupid. I don't know why I should have to do this job. Why must I do this task? This is pointless. Yeah. There's going to be no outcome and flat out refuse. Whereas the woman will do it, but they'll do a very poor job of it, which yeah. ultimately ends up being me having to redo it or somebody else on the team having to redo it or somebody else has to pick up the slack. Yeah. I had, you know, I don't want to sound sexist or anything, so I'm going to say a person was trying, was apologizing to me, but the way they said it was, wow, it was like, it was like my, my, one of my kids when they were apologizing, but they were really unhappy about it. And it was like a, sorry. And then like a blank kind of stare and, uh, into something behind me and I was like oh gosh here you go so I totally understand what you mean and I, I guess the quietly defiant kind of attitude oh man that's so unpredictable yeah. that to me is so dangerous yeah yeah what's well, the act of sleepwalkers those that are here yeah. and they don't really do much those are actively disengaged they do very little but what they do do can be very very um, negative towards the company and towards other people in the organization. So whether it's gossip and, and stories and against a person is one thing. But the big risk with disengaged employees is that often the stories and their, their disgruntled attitude towards their manager or the greater organization goes and spreads outside of your internal stakeholders and it goes towards your external stakeholders. Yeah. Um, a really easy example is have you ever sat in a restaurant and got the most shocking customer service? Yeah. The wait yeah. is terrible. They, they don't even want to make eye contact with you. You try and say to them, look, there's something wrong with my meal. Do you mind just taking it back to the kitchen? And they'll literally tell you off at the table and then grab your plate. That is an example of a disengaged employee in a restaurant setting. And that is a reflection on the organization. Mm. You know, so that is a, a really basic example. But if you're running a really large organization and your customer focus is critical, in a sales environment, your people are your brand. Mm. And if your people are miserable and disgruntled and mouthing off about the manager and the boss and the, the office this and the culture in the office mm. this, do you think their mouths stay closed in front of your customers mm. if they're actively disengaged and spreading that kind of animosity spreading that, in the office? Yeah. It absolutely doesn't stop in front of the customers. Yeah. Um, there is a, there's a lot of research and data to support that customer um, customers are very attuned to this kind of behavior and the customer metrics go up as soon as employees are more engaged. Wow, crazy. So, okay. Let, can we talk a little bit about introverts, extroverts? And I believe there's a word that, that you've coined called ambivert. Or you might not have coined it. But <laughs> no, I didn't coin it. I wish I did, but, but no, I didn't. And the reason is because... Um, this is particularly close to my heart because I'm an extrovert. 
you know, my wife's an introvert. So I've had to learn a lot of things in terms of how do I deal with her. Um, obviously, half the population are probably introverts and I've got a lot of staff here that are introverts. So someone close to my heart. And can you talk a little bit about the differences between introvert and extrovert, how to deal with each? Cool. Well, um, a lot of work that we do with leaders is helping them recognize introverts, ambiver- uh, introverts, extroverts in their teams and, you know, how do you manage the dynamics in team meetings and in a larger corporate setting and how do you address a culture where you've got all these different people? As you said, you're an extrovert. I'm also an extrovert. I'm also married to an introvert. And it's a very famous expression that opposites attract. And if you ask yourself why, it's because you create a balance. But I'm sure that balance didn't happen after a day or a week or a couple of months. That balance takes time to learn you know, where do you draw the line? Where do you keep quiet? Where do you talk? Where do you sit still? Where have you pushed too hard? And that concept of marriage and how you get to learn where and how and what and why is not very dissimilar to the relationships mm. you need to develop yeah. with your teammates I think it's and your helped, colleagues. I think it's helped me a lot. Sorry to, to jump in. Not I think I think having a wife that's introvert and learning how to deal with her has helped me in terms of how I deal with people here, mm. for example. Yeah, so in learning how to deal with, I don't believe that one personality type is better than the other. I believe it's only learning how you deal with those from an emotional intelligence perspective. And it's your own emotional intelligence that needs to improve. It's not necessarily just somebody else's. The whole team needs to become more aware of who the different personalities are and how to to manage them in a meeting or in a setting so that everybody has a voice, everybody has a place. And you asked me about the third personality type. Well, those are your ambiverts. Mm. And an ambivert is somebody who's almost sitting on the fence with one foot in the extrovert side and one foot on the introvert side. So those are people who in a social setting are like us extroverts who are bubbly and interactive and are quite happy to hold the floor and to give a presentation and to share our vision and to share almost every thought that comes into our mind. It's not that extroverts don't have a filter because we do, but we don't get tired of being in a social setting. Mm. And your ambiverts are okay in a social setting for a while and then they're not. And yeah. then they're quite happy to go and retreat and be by themselves and read a book or uh, go for a walk and they somewhat recharge alone. And that's the thing, like the, the definitions, it's very important to understand, right? Because I used to think that, oh, extroverts, the definition is they are loud. Or yeah. the definition of introverts is they are soft and shy. But that's not, no. that's not correct. It's where do you energize around people or do yeah. you energize Alone. Absolutely. But I think even those of us, and I'll just use the two of us as examples, even mm. though we're extroverts, there also comes a time where we go through a phase which is circumstantial, which we can also go and sit on the fence as an ambivert, where sometimes we prefer to be alone for a while yeah. and draw our energy. I've, I've worked from, oh, I've worked with amazing and incredible business leaders mm. who were huge extroverts, who could stand and give seminars and were high up in corporate organizations. And then every now and then you'd see they had booked out in their calendar to go to a think pod. And they'd booked out time just to go for an hour to sit yeah. alone in silence and to start think tanking a mm. concept because they too needed to just shut out the noise and be alone. Yep. And there's often a misconception that an introvert is a weaker personality or doesn't have an opinion. And I think that is, that is wrong. Yeah, introverts are, can be extremely strong personalities. They can have very valid ideas. But they don't see the need to shout above an extrovert to get that opinion out. Yeah. That is the big difference, and which is why part of employee engagement is making sure that everybody has a space to speak. 
And it's creating a culture where if you're the biggest extrovert, an introvert, or perhaps very shy who doesn't like as much human contact, everybody is respected and everybody has a place to speak and right. to be heard. So it's giving people – so as a leader, you really need to give a platform, whether it's in a meeting, whether it's like email or some kind of survey, maybe like – I don't know, like what are some ways that you can you can provide a platform for everyone to have their say without being fearful or – you know, like and you need to set that example as a leader. Right. If you're aware that you're an extrovert and you know you dominate 90% of the airtime, you know, be aware that perhaps if you made it 70% of the airtime and gave 30% mm. to the floor, you'd be quite amazed at what came back. Yep. There's some business leaders who actually implement a sit down and no speak rule in some of their meetings where they as a leader sit down and are not allowed to say a word as mm. much as they want to, as much as they desperately need to contribute, or they can see something somebody said, which is possibly an error or is wrong, or they can go red wanting to contribute. They need to sit down and keep quiet because by mm. handing the floor over, you'd be amazed what people start saying, knowing that they're not only allowed to speak, yeah. but it's invited for them to speak and they're not going to be interrupted because yeah. extroverts tend to interrupt. <laughs> yeah, all the time. And so, like, one other thing that we talk, talked about before was you know, like the not to confuse character flaws or character strengths with someone being introvert or extrovert. For example, if an extrovert is really, you can have confident extrovert and you can have a non-confident extrovert, can't you? You know, um, and a confident extrovert, they can do seminars and they can run them quite well, but you might have an extrovert that can't do that right? So, that's a character thing or a skill thing that they have to develop. And then with introverts, um, they're not necessarily like, they're not all necessarily shy. You can have a really confident, very forthcoming introvert, right? So, I guess what I'm saying is that, and I don't know if you agree, but I've learned that character strengths and weaknesses and skills are separate to whether someone's an introvert or an extrovert. Do you agree? Yeah, I'm not a fan of boxing people, mm. you know, as an introvert or an extrovert or all your different personality types, like I'm a yeah. driver or I'm analytical or, you know, all these different personality types that come out and these tests you can do. Absolutely, it's nice to get an idea of who that person is, but nobody is beyond um, teaching themselves and going through some emotional assessment to grow parts of their skill set or their competencies that they'd like to improve. So absolutely, you can get an introvert who is so confident. Mm. You know, I mentioned to you earlier that Mark Zuckerberg is an introvert and he absolutely does not lack skill. Yeah. You know, Albert Einstein was an introvert too. You know, most of your presidents are extroverts. Mm. You know, because of the, just the inherent ability to get up and speak and engage a crowd and not be scared to, to get into banter and arguments and debates would make a president a great extrovert. But that doesn't mean an introvert wouldn't be a good president, for mm. example. They would just have to perhaps learn to hone in their skills of public speaking, debating, and just strengthen that side of their personality. Nobody doesn't have the ability yeah. to do something. But if they don't want to, then they shouldn't have to. Yeah, that's if an, right. If an introvert doesn't want to hold seminars and publicly speak and go to social engagements six out of seven days a week, they shouldn't have to. But if part of speaking up and contributing to a work environment, if being part of a, a brainstorming committee or a, a, a group that needs to go out and face customers or handle difficult conversations with customers or be involved in critical conversations and constructive conversations in the office is part of your job role. You can't shy away from that and say, 
okay, well, I'm introvert, so I don't really want to do this. Mm. That is not constructive to the business. And therefore, you need to learn the emotional skills to develop that part of your personality. Yeah, that's good. In the same way that the extrovert leaders need to learn when their opinion, as important as they believe it is, is not the only opinion in the room. Yeah, yeah. You know, and not all extroverts are like that, but many extroverts just get so excited with their thoughts and their processes that sometimes they forget <laughs> everybody else has good thoughts yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. And so, <clears throat> one thing I, I've asked you before is like, you know, personally, sometimes I feel like I, like I, because I, I'm always trying to understand introverts, right? Because I'm the other way. And sometimes I do, however, feel that I pander to them a bit too much. Like I make excuses. Like I say, oh, look, they're just shy because they're an introvert. So, therefore, they don't have to speak up and give me feedback, you know? Or maybe it's up to me to, to bring it out of them. You know, I haven't done it. And, and yeah, it's true. Like I have to take responsibility. But, you know, you said earlier that, well, it's 50-50. Like they've got to come to the party as well. Mm. You know what I mean? Like you, you can't make excuses for their character flaws. Well, there's two things that come to mind. Number one, if you keep answering for them without asking them, you're making assumptions of what they think and what they believe right. without really knowing what they are thinking. Perhaps it's not really comfortable for them to speak up the first, second, or third time. But mm. when placed in an environment where speaking up becomes the norm and comfortable, they can start expressing their thoughts, their opinions, their beliefs, their objections, their arguments in a way that will become the norm. So mm. that's the first is if, if extroverts in all shapes and forms, in all organizations, businesses, big and small, had to always speak up for the extroverts, how do they not know that there are pearls of wisdom sitting there and they just take it for granted that the introvert doesn't want to speak? And then the second thing that comes to mind is if you're wanting to create highly functional teams and highly engaged um, groups of individuals and employees and organizations, they have to feel like they're contributing, whether they are introverts, whether they are shy. And if they're not contributing with what they're thinking and what they're feeling, how are they going to align to the vision of your business? Yeah, yeah, true, true. So what can leaders, doesn't have to be a business owner, what can leaders, managers, what can they do to improve workplace engagement? Sure. Well, I think anybody can be a leader, number one. I think you can lead from the bottom, the middle, all the top. Yep. You know, leadership Definitely. is a term that people often think sits at the top of a pyramid and it mm. doesn't. You know, leadership sits at all different levels and tiers. Mm. Uh, what can we do? We need to become aware of the people that are around us and actually notice if somebody is isolated, if somebody is alone if our behavior is impacting on others negatively eq so develop your eq Huge is an eq um so that's the first thing is that I, i'm not a fan of people assuming that leadership starts at the top because leadership starts everywhere and businesses mm. are particularly poor in the number of leaders they have and leaders are going to take organizations where they need to go so develop leaders in all corners and all tiers of your organization from a management perspective or a business owner perspective, those who are responsible for the culture of their organizations, what can they do to address um, employee disengagement or your sleepwalkers? Actually become aware that there's a problem. Yeah. You know, statistically, there's almost 80% global disengagement in the workforce and Australia is sitting around 70%. So there is a mm. problem. I think, as you mentioned, as a business owner, it's not great to imagine that you've played a part in disengagement and business leaders need to realize that they have played a part, but they're a huge part in the solution. Mm. So being part of the problem is almost minuscule in the part that they play in the solution. Mm. So once you've identified that there is an issue, you know, accept it, own it, and be, be happy 
that you can rectify it. It's not a, it's not a sinking ship like the Titanic that's going to go down. It's a, it's a small rubber boat with a puncture that you need to put a good Band-Aid over mm. and move forward. And there is so much that can be done to rectify mm. engagement and to bring employees to a point where they are productive and profitable mm. and happy. So, what are some – yeah, that's great. What are some practical tips? Like we mentioned a platform for everyone to speak up and you mentioned um, one of the things that people do, which is the leaders are not allowed to speak, uh, which encourages everyone to speak instead, which is good. Are there any more kind of cool solutions like that? Yeah. So, a couple of basic ones that I think really goes a long way is reward and recognition. Yeah. You know, recognize your team when they do something well and allow your team members to recognize each other. Right. You know, that often breaks down barriers of communication because it means that people have noticed what others are doing and they've gone up and acknowledged what they're doing as being really well, well, a really a job well done. Mm. It also allows for people to share best practice. Mm. You know, which as soon as you start sharing information and you start sharing how I did this and why I did this, you start cross-pollinating information between departments that perhaps didn't communicate before or silos or groups that didn't talk before. Your millennials could start chatting to your 60-year-olds. Mm. You know, sharing best practice is really a good start. Right, okay. So, like, you know, like we, we've about a year and a half ago, we started the, the emails going back and forth, everyone being kept in the loop with yeah. the new technologies and their departments sharing. You mean like that? Like just general kind of sharing culture? I'm a big fan of face-to-face. I mean, you, you know right. me, you, you've met me a couple of times. I'm a big people person. Mm. And I believe technology, is, as much as it's an asset, it's also a downfall when it comes yeah. to people communication. Because if I just send an email at Hoppers 8 at yeah. night, sitting on the couch watching TV, I just want to say well done to this person. They really did a great job. You know, thumbs up, mate, and send the email to the company. <laughs> if I stand up in front of 50 people and say, I really think you did an amazing job, mm. and I look at them in the eyes and say, job well done, I like that you did this, that you did these four other things, and for that, I want to give you um, a slab of chocolate for the week. Mm. Now, that person had to stand there and receive that feedback in front of all of our peers. Mm. That goes a huge way, huge way. Yeah. compared to just an email. I yeah. can send out 50 emails a week, yeah, giving reward and recognition, but actually standing up, means way more what someone did and it's genuine and it's authentic mm. that starts building also a culture of gratitude mm-hmm. you know a culture of mutual respect yeah you know and that's that's for me is also a start of breaking down silos when you've got marketing rewarding sales sales rewarding human resources how do you encourage them to reward each other though do you just tell them to do it or do you actually create a system around that well, there needs to be sharing. Like if you have team meetings or yeah, once a week get-togethers. Right. and Brainstorm meetings, team yeah. meetings, weekly staff meetings, things like that. There needs to be communication in an office before you can start rewarding. If your people do not know what others are doing, yeah. how can they reward them? So more face-to-face interaction yeah, and, and you as a leader create that. That's a culture of productivity. When everybody knows what everybody else is doing, it mm. allows them to share ideas, to get involved. Can I help you? Mm. You know, that's when your productivity goes up. But yeah, that, in, that in itself is employee engagement. When you've got a team of dynamic individuals from all different corners of an organization working together for the greater good of the organization, mm. they start working like a fine-oiled machine because they all know what each other's doing and they care what each other's doing. Yeah, okay. If you don't care, you'll carry on going. Yeah, there's no point. No, you just stay in your own lane the whole time without mm. looking in your side mirrors mm. or your rear view mirror. Yeah. You only face forward and that's mm. not teamwork. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and wh- what do you do now? Like how do you help companies and organizations now 
if you can explain to everyone a bit about what you do. Sure. Well, right now I have a license with a, a global organization called Engage and Grow. And the name is exactly what we do. We get people engaged in their job roles with their immediate team, their greater team, and then their greater organization. And then we grow the organization, whether the, the business owners wanted to grow in various KPIs, productivity, um, profitability, customer engagement. We grow the business, but we grow the team. We grow the culture. We develop better behaviors. We look at the systems. We grow the morale and the motivation. It's a very much people-focused business with the, the ultimate agenda of creating a more globally engaged workforce. And all the metrics that come along with that, I mean, there are so many out there, but for me, that's a second mm. reason. The primary reason is about the people. Mm. And as a, as a mom and a wife, there is nothing more devastating than being unhappy in your work. Mm. It has an impact on everything, on your health, on, it's true. on your home life, on everything. If you go to work happy and you go to work feeling like you're part of something, it makes it absolutely mm. a joy. Monday to Friday is not work. Monday to Friday becomes an experience. Mm. And working for an organization where you understand what you're doing, why you're doing it, who you're working with, and you, know, you actually develop these relationships and you've got social capital with the people that you work with, yeah. it, it makes it such a joy yeah, to go true. to work. And we should be happy. Yeah. And you can be happy at work. Yeah, awesome. Carly, thanks so much. I learned heaps as usual. And uh, I hope everyone did as well. So yeah, peace out. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Uh, uh, uh.